Okay, my name is Brian Hughesland, and today I'm going to be talking on angels. What are they? So you might want to grab a seat here. It's rough. <laughs> I teach fifth graders, and you know this is this is challenging. I tell you, no, I love it. I love it. So glad that you guys can join us today. I'm Brian Hughesland, and. Uh, I'm uh, helping out with the Teaching Adult Sunday School. I'm getting better at this. Dave Nelson's an old pro. Uh, so i am definitely got to work on his. He's got the crowd management skills. I'm still, I'm like a Padawan, you know. That really loud, I don't know that really loud whistle. Okay, so today what we're going to do is we're going to be going into chapter 19 of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, that small little book that, uh, that kind of helps us as we look at each subject or topic in the Bible. And I'd like to, um, just one second here. Okay, so what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to uh, open in prayer and then we will um, we'll start. Father in heaven, we thank you that even as, you, as, as your son Jesus taught us to pray, uh, that you are our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we say that so easily, and yet, Lord, to think that what that really conveys is the sense that there are angels who are obedient to you in heaven. And that when, they, uh, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're actually wanting to follow the example of your holy angels who serve you. And so would you open our minds to your word today and help us, Lord, inspire us and encourage us through studying the Bible today on this interesting topic. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a little pop culture here. I have a dream, a song to sing to help me cope with anything. This shows my age. If you see the wonder of a fairy tale, you can take the future even if you fail. What's the next line? It's Abba. I believe in angels. Something good in everything I see. I believe in angels. When I know the time is right for me, I'll cross the stream. I have a dream. Okay? Well, just such theological content, right? Um, and of course, our culture doesn't shy away from doing theology. It just does a lot of bad theology. So I was thinking back to all the different examples in the last, like, 50 years. Um, obviously, now that I'm almost 50, I'm losing touch rapidly with recent, um, you know, kinds of examples of this, but that's what Google's for, right? But it is really interesting if you just kind of have a look and say, so where do angels pop up kind of in... Um, in movies or music or whatever. And I was thinking about how, um, if you go back to the 1946 film, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. Um, of course, there's Clarence. Clarence, right? And the story is that Clarence is an angel sent to help this guy, George Bailey. And he's supposed to help him to realize that, you know, Actually, you've got a wonderful life. It's not as bad as you think it is. And so this kind of post-war 
kind of don't be so down and discouraged. It's actually going to get better kind of movie. And uh, remember Zuzu? Right? She's the little girl. And at the end of the movie, she says, Daddy! Right? When the little bell rings on the tree. Right? <laughs> I can't even say it. But it's, you know, the idea that um, when, an, when a bell rings, an angel gets its Thank you. Okay. Which is not found in the Bible anywhere. Uh, but it's an interesting fact that uh, in 1946, this movie was considered to be too religious. Simply because of Clarence being in the movie. Okay? Um, I already quoted from the ABBA album. So I'm unashamedly a fan of that. Uh, 1980s, when I was growing up, Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon was a thing about this guy. And it was, it was really kind of this weird idea that I just, growing up in a non-Christian pagan family, I just assumed this is true, that when people die, they become angels. This is what I actually believed. Uh, and a lot of people actually think this. Um, and so it was this idea that this guy basically is sent down uh, because he lived a bad life and so, you know, or, or a life that could have been better. So you're going to go down there and help people. That's your... That's your assignment now. Um, Touched by an Angel, 1990s. How many of you remember that show? That was a thing. Also, fascination in the 90s with two things. One, maybe there are angels among us. And secondly, the angel of death. There's like this fascination with the angel of death in the 1990s. I don't know why, but TV shows and movies, usually the angel of death pops up somewhere. So. And, and then that kind of segues from a, well, what if there are angels? And what if they are on earth? Sometimes we don't know it. And what if they look like us? And what would that experience be like for them? And all kinds of, you know, efforts at kind of coming up with stories. Um, and not a lot of good ones, by the way. Um, Legion with Paul Bettany. And uh, I can't remember who the other guy is. Playing Michael and Gabriel. And they're... They're bad angels. It, this is a trend as well. You see from like the year 2000 forwards, or maybe even the late 90s, John Travolta stars in his own angel movie. There's a few cute ones like Angels in the Outfield. But most of the time, what we see over the last 25 years is this increasing morbid fascination with fallen angels. And uh, Dave, I think, is going to be talking about demons next week. So <laughs> stay tuned, right? Uh, uh, so, as the Bible, of course, teaches that the demons are simply fallen angels. So, that's, I guess, no surprise, right? That I'm not seeing as many movies, really, anymore that deal with that. Although, there's still a lot of fascination with um, angels and a lot of, um, you know, of that kind of idea of maybe a baby angel, you know, or even just angels that people put on the Christmas trees. Like, you know, what? What, is, what are angels really like? So, remember that systematic theology summarizes Bible doctrine. So, so biblical theology is more like tracing, like if we were to trace the development of God's revelation from Genesis to the, the end of the Bible about angels. Like, what did people know, you know, what did they understand of angels in the beginning? And then, what did God reveal increasingly up into including the birth of Christ and the, uh, the angels appearing to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, and then all the way forward to Revelation. So that would be biblical theology, kind of tracing the development of God's revelation about this subject. 
uh, historical theology would be like, what did Christians uh, think about angels, you know, in the church age, beginning from the, the, the age of the apostles, going through the early church fathers, middle ages, right, up until now. But systematic theology is saying, you know what, we just want to know, if you look at the whole Bible, the Bible as a whole, what does it teach about a given topic? So this is what Wayne Grudem in his book says as a handy definition. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. So let's unpack this a little bit. So the overview today for this chapter is their nature and when they were created, the place of angels in God's purpose, and finally, what is our relationship to angels, or what should our relationship to angels be? So the, their nature, their place in, in God's purpose, and then how do, we, how do human beings and angels relate to each other? So let's go through some of these. Let's unpack this. First of all, uh, they are created spiritual beings. So what that means simply is, is that uh, they're not in some sense, um, the Bible does not ever, anywhere speak of angels as being part of him. They are created things, right? They are finite uh, they can take bodily form. Uh, if we were to look through Scripture, what we would find is that throughout there, you see uh, mentions of them uh, exercising moral judgment. Some of them sinned and fell from their positions at the beginning. We'll talk more about that soon. That's found in 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude chapter 6. Um, and of course, next week, um, that's going to be the focus for uh, the topic for Sunday school. So more on that next week. Their high intelligence is seen throughout scriptures. They speak to people and sing praise to God. Um, they, they are often referred to as the host of heaven or the armies of heaven. Um, Nehemiah 9.6 You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host and the host of heaven worships you. Um, and so, of course, and then Colossians 1.16, which is really clear here, right, that God created all things visible and invisible through Christ and for him, and then specifically includes the angelic world with the phrase, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, okay? So it's referring to unseen things, spiritual beings as well. All those things are part of God's creation. So... They're created spiritual beings. Secondly, there are other names for angels. The word angelos just means messenger, right? And that there's a Hebrew word as well. They both mean messenger, but sometimes referred to as the sons of God. Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. They're referred to as God's holy ones, Psalm 89. Spirits, Hebrews 1.14. Watchers, Daniel chapter 4. Uh, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, Colossians 1.16, okay? Which then leads us into the next part, which is, so what are the kinds of angels that, what, what does the Bible actually speak of? And I'm really going to restrict myself to the Bible um, because, you know, um, in, in Jewish lore, there's a lot more that they go into, um, and that's based on the Talmud and various other things. Um, and so... We're not going to go into all of that. Um, I'm not going to use the Apocrypha to kind of help us because this is 
systematic theology, we're studying the Bible. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would be maybe probably part of the historical theology thing. We're like looking at how people have viewed angels over the centuries. But if we look at the scripture, we see essentially three or four kinds. It depends on how you, how you classify this. And could there be more? Of course, right? This is only what God has revealed to us. So it reveals, for example, the cherubim. The cherubim are mentioned first in Genesis chapter 3, right? What is the cherubim doing? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, he's not playing a harp, is he? No. And it's not a little baby either with wings. No, it's, it's a mighty angel with a flaming sword, right? So that is, yeah, guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden, and that's a sign already Adam and Eve has sinned, you cannot get back this way. You will have to find, there's another way. God will provide, but this is not the way. And of course, we hear about the, the cherubim, many other places, uh, the Ark of the Testimony, right? The, 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 in the very center, there is, there's no statue. A lot of the New, ancient Near East um, religions would have idols, statues. A focal point would be uh, something shaped out of wood or stone or, or metal. Um, but on the top of the Ark of Testimony, there are two cherubim, but they're not the focal point of worship, are they? They're faced with their wings over, uh, touching, and they're, they're faced towards the center. And the center there is, it's, there's nothing there, because it's, it's reminding us that God is spirit. So these angels, these cherubim, it's describing uh, our golden figures and it was there that God promised to come to dwell among his people. Exodus chapter 25. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So the cherubim have uh, apparently one kind of uh, purpose, or, or I don't want to call it species, that's very <laughs> biological, but there's certainly different um, kinds. And then also we see on this horizontal level, not only are there cherubim, um, and, and Ezekiel does mention this as well in chapter 10, um, but also, um, you know, these wheels, these wheels with eyes on them. It's a freaky chapter in Ezekiel chapter 10. It blows my mind. I can't really, I mean, I've seen pictures of this. I'm thinking it's probably even more crazy awesome. Uh, but it, it, it may be gears. Again, I just want to be careful not to get too detailed because it's like, I don't want to go beyond what scripture says. And it's, it's a vision. But I know this, um, that there, there is something there. And, it, and is that, are those cherubim, it seems to be next to the cherubim, or it says the spirit of the cherubim is in these things that are turning with eyes all around them. So that may be that there is another kind of angel there um, and I can't remember the Hebrew word for the wheels, but there's an actually word for that. Um, it, it might be Gilgalim, and there's another one. I can't remember either. But the seraphim, right? You, we've heard of the seraphim. This is another group of heavenly beings who I mentioned in Isaiah chapter, two, uh, chapter 6, verse 2 through 7, and you may remember that where it's describing that they continually worship the Lord and called one another. What are some of the things that you remember if you've read Isaiah chapter 6, what does it say about the seraphim? Anybody? 
How would you just des- how are they described? How many wings do they have? Six, Six wings. With two, they what? Cover their faces, yep. Two, they cover their feet, and with two, they, they fly, right? So th- early on, the, this imagery of the cherubim and seraphim, it does mention wings. So this is interesting because the wings are not it, apparently something that are required or necessary, but they are definitely part of how they are described. In other words, angels don't need to have wings. Um, when we see them in other places of the, of the Bible, they can manifest themselves without them. But um, they certainly do remind us, these wings remind us that these are not humans, right? They're not just evolved humans or something like that. These are a creature that is separate, lifted up um, in part of another dimension, as it were. And, of course, what did the seraphim cry before the throne of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6.3. But we're not done. And this was something I hadn't thought of. The four living creatures. Like, what are those? What are those? I mean, really, they're, they're not humans. If they're not humans, well, and it's not the Holy Spirit. So this seems to be some kind of angelic being or beings. And these heavenly beings, known as living creatures around God's throne, are described in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 5. And Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. With their appearances like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, they are the mightiest representatives of various parts of God's entire creature, creation, wild beasts, domesticated animals, human beings, and birds. And they worship God continually. And, and as we already said, they, they're singing holy, holy, holy. So the seraphim, the four living creatures, seem to have a, a very much a their job mainly seems to include uh, the worship of the Lord. But um, they are often spoken of in the Bible as messengers. And so is that something different than the cherubim? I don't know. I don't want to go too far or speculate at all. Um, but it, we, these, are, these are some of the different kinds of angels that the Bible does describe. So if that's the horizontal kind of description of some of the different orders and again, there's those thrones and, and, and dominion. What is that? What's that about, right? Lots of ink has been spilled on what that could be, but I'm not going to go there because this is systematic theology. So we don't know, but we do know that they are, it is, those are spiritual beings, and the way it's described refers to authority. And of course, Ephesians 6 seems to indicate that that's also true of the demonic realm as well. So we're going to find out more about that next week. So please come. So what about, if that's the horizontal, what about the vertical? Rank and order among the angels. Well, there is rank and order, um, apparently, because one angel is called an archangel in Jude chapter 9. A title that indicates rule or authority over other angels. Um, And then Daniel chapter 10, verse 13 it refers to one of the chief princes of the angels. Uh, and, uh, and then 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.16 talks about how Paul writes that the Lord Jesus will return from heaven with the voice of an archangel. In other words, that, that there will be um, announcing his return. The archangel will proclaim this. So there is, there is this archangel 
reference. Now, whether this refers to Michael as the only archangel or whether there are other archangels, Scripture does not tell us, but Michael is one of those. Um, so, again, so curious, but we don't really know a whole lot more. What about names? So, we've already referred to Michael. So, are, are there any other angels named in the Bible? Gabriel. Gabriel. Good. So, if, if we stick to Scripture, really, we only have two. We have Michael who's mentioned in Jude chapter 9, Revelation 12, as well as Daniel chapter 3, where he's called Michael, one of the chief princes. The angel Gabriel, this is cool. He's actually mentioned in Daniel. Did you know that? Gabriel's mentioned in Daniel. Chapter 8, let's have a look at that. Daniel chapter 8, verse 16. It's like, yeah, this guy's got some history, you know. It's been around a while. Actually, all the angels have been around a while because they are not born. There's no new angels. Like all of them were created at the beginning and they're still with us. Thank you. That is awesome. So, so very important that we study this, this topic. So Daniel chapter 8 verse 16 And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai River and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near to where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Yeah, I would be too. Um, and so, but he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Okay? So Gabriel serves as this powerful messenger, um, and he's given the task to appear in Luke chapter 1, I think verse 19, where he speaks to Mary and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Actually, that's Zechariah. He's talking to Zechariah um, first, right? The father of John the Baptist. And then he comes and speaks to Mary. But uh, yeah, Gabriel, he's, you know, he shuts the mouth of John the Baptist. Earlier in the Bible, angels shut the mouths of lions, right? So they, they, have, they have a lot of power. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, there aren't any other names, okay? And, of course, again, if you get into Jewish mysticism, oh, they'll give you lots of names. But if we just look at the Old and New Testament, these are the only ones. We don't know why. Why aren't more angels named? Why are these two named and not others? Maybe they're both archangels. We just don't know. However, it does tell us something about angels. They are self-aware. They have their own identities. They're not just like it's not just like a slot machine or something or some kind of rotating thing where it's like, okay, today I'm Gabriel, tomorrow I'm Michael. You know, it's, no, these, they have identities. They have immortal identities and they, they are moral and intelligent beings. But they can only be one place at one time. The, the scripture frequently mentions angels as traveling from one place to another. For example, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Well, if he was able to be omnipresent like God, he wouldn't need to be sent. He could just appear, right? But he had to go, he had to be sent. And of course, if they are created beings, this makes sense. They're not omnipresent. They're finite beings, even though we would think of them as powerful and amazing compared to what we can do, they have limitations. Michael 
uh, in Daniel chapter 10, it talks about how Michael uh, uh, was uh, withheld as well. There's this, there's this spiritual struggle, and so there's a delay in angels being able to arrive. Then that leads us to number seven, their power. Um, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to power, and I'll come back to uh, some of the other ones. So, so power, I think this, this goes best with this part here. Not only are they um, re re restricted to one place at one time, but their power is very great for certain things based on their purpose. And we'll get into the purpose soon. But they're called, you mighty ones who do his word, Psalm 103. They're called powers in Ephesians chapter 1. Dominions, authorities. They are apparently greater in might and power than rebellious human beings. Um, but it says that Hebrews chapter 2, human beings are made lower than the angels, right? But that's not going to always be that way. Um, because... It, it speaks of when the Lord returns that we will be raised to a position higher than that of angels, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. Okay? So they're powerful. They're able to do a lot of things. I'm not going to go into all the things that they, have, they do. I mean, if you study through the scriptures, not only they're shutting mouths of lions um, and delivering messages, um, but there's a lot of uh, unseen spiritual warfare going on. Um, there's the... Uh, uh, the well, we'll get to it later, but there's the section where Elisha the prophet tells his servant, and he prays for his servant to see, and there's these angels around at Dothan, right? They're encamped around there. So, yeah, Luke. When, when the Bible talks about humans being placed lower than the angels, at least for the time being, is that because of their sinful fallen state? And in Garden of Eden, was that not the case? That's a great question. Okay, so there's two possibilities here, right? One could be it is a result of the fall and that um, as when we're glorified, that we will be exalted and uh, be higher than the angels and, and be judging them, as it says in Scripture. Or the other possibility is that um, when, when human beings were created, angels being greater in ability and power and, and um, maybe task to a certain extent because they're closer to God in, in, in terms of the worship of God. And it's only after... Um, the return of Christ that we are exalted to a, 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 a state even higher than that which we would have had naturally. And the reason why I think that too could be an option is because Christ himself, who was without sin, right? he was given a name, uh, Philippians chapter 2, that is above every name, and he was exalted. Well, Christ was exalted. In a sense, yes, he, he humbled himself, so he was returned to a place of glory, but it seems to be a place of greater glory. So, could it be that human beings, because we're of our union with Christ, of course, distinct from him, but will we be, therefore, also um, be given more, you know, authority? What do you think? It's a good question. What do you think? I actually have a different question. Yes, go ahead. So that's a great question. I, I think some of what we're talking about today refers to all angels in terms of their, their nature, right? Which is kind of what this is. This is all about their nature. Um, but you're right. Some of this is really referring to the, what angels, obviously the ones who are his elect angels, his holy angels doing. 
Um, some of these things are not definitely not true of Lucifer or other fallen angels. And that's really going to be fleshed out next week. So I would say, um, yeah, from what we can tell from Scripture, you know, even, and I, I have really named, you know, Satan, of course, is, is a title, the accuser, right? Lucifer, um, you know, is, you know, it's this idea that the devil is, uh, he is an angel who's fallen. So he would be a created spiritual being, right? Have his own individual identity, high in intelligence, uh, moral, you know, agency, um, and definitely there exists, as I'm sure Dave will get into next week, rank and order even in hell. Or, okay, that's, that's, making, that's making an assumption. Uh, <laughs> there's rank and order in, and Brett, help me out here, but there'd be, there'd be a, a parallel because this is the way angels are, but there would be a demonic version of it, and that's going to be next week. But um, they're not... Yes. This is a super important topic, though, because in the Western world, we have demythologized everything. And so we have to, we live, especially in the West, in this era of the discarded middle. We know God's there, we know we're here, and we've just kind of disenchanted everything else. But we need everything else. That's why hope people go around with Pokemon Go thinking that Pikachu could be anywhere. It's exciting. And in in other cultures, it's exciting that these angels are out there now. They're not intermediaries. They're, Jesus' name is far greater than theirs. Mm-hmm. Right. God created potentially millions of these. Mm-hmm. The medieval thought for every star there is, there's an angel. That's a great segue. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Um, so for some reason, God felt that these are super important. Yeah. Absolutely. So stay tuned. I think much more will be revealed next week when we talk about this. Thank you, Brett. Yeah, so, so that's why it's important that we study this because um, it has so, it, it's, it, it definitely, we have lost an understanding of, of what these creatures are. Um, and so, so they're powerful. Let's go back to the whole, how many. So that's a great question. So several scriptures that refer to this, Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. Um, it refers to how uh, there are, it said, when God came to Mount Sinai, he came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Okay, so ten thousands, okay. Um, and then you read on, Psalm 68, verse 17, that the chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. And then you get to Hebrews 12, 22, when we come to worship, we come, and this, and this is really relevant to today as well. When we come into worship, when we come to worship Christ together, we are also coming into the presence of innumerable angels. That's Hebrews 12, verse 22, if you want to look it up. Their number is even more emphasized uh, in Revelation 5, 11, where John says, I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. This expression indicates a huge number from a human standpoint. So really, going back to that comment that Brett made, um, we're talking, yeah, and, and, and not just millions. We don't know. I mean, but it's, it's beyond count almost. 
um, when we think about if the stars are representative of angels, um, then it's an if, but, but in the sense that um, there, are, there are way more than we can count. Okay, moving on. Guardian angels. Really br briefly, the Bible says two things. It says God does use angels to guard and protect people at different times. And of course, this is, I believe, uh, where the devil has the gall to quote Scripture to Jesus, Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all their ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So they do serve that purpose sometimes. However, it doesn't say clearly in Scripture anywhere that we have one angel assigned to us, like George Bailey, okay? That's, that's not in the Scriptures. Instead, it seems to be describing that angels are playing zone rather than man-on-man -man defense, okay? So that's all we have to say about guardian angels right now. <laughs> uh, I, again, don't want to go beyond Scripture, but it, to me, it seems abundantly clear uh, that angels do not... So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, that they, the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. Okay? Or actually, actually, what he says is, I want to make sure I quote this, in the resurrection, answering the Sadducees who are trying to trip, trick him up, he says, in the resurrection, people will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So the parallel there is, okay, the Greek words, marry uh, and given in marriage, and I'm going to not pronounce this correctly, but it's gamio and gamisco. So, so to marry is what a man does. To be given in marriage, right, that's what her father does. He he gives his daughter away. So these two words are referring to that neither will be happening in heaven for human beings, but they will be like the angels. So the statement there seems to be clear. The angels, right, are not marrying or giving a marriage or being given a marriage. And again, they're not the same kind of, of being like us. They can take physical form. They can... They can affect physical reality, but they're not biological. They can't have babies, okay? I'm going to leave it there because there's a lot of weirdness out there with the Nephilim, and I'm just going to leave it there. So if you want to talk to me, I will be happy to talk afterwards with you and ask uh, what your thoughts are on that. Okay, <laughs> um, so we're going to try to keep going. The angel of the Lord, simply, uh, as you already probably know, um, refers to... God's very presence, when it says the angel of the Lord, um, probably uh, it could be pre-incarnate Christ, or it could be um, some kind of theophany, some appearance of God. Um, but it's clearly, when it says the angel of the Lord, saying things that only God can say, right? Uh, for example, uh, we have him uh, speaking to Abraham. Don't kill Isaac. It's the angel of the Lord says, don't do it, okay? And then uh, he says, again, um, yeah, because he says, now that I know you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son uh, from me. And then he speaks to uh, it, Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me, Genesis 31. That's the angel of the Lord speaking. And then uh, we have Moses in the burning bush. And it's the angel of the Lord appearing there saying, I am the God of your fathers. So, that's all there. Now, so when were they created? 
I'm going to just briefly get through this. So these five scriptures kind of give us a really good sense of what the Bible says, and then also, okay, what does it not say? So clearly, um, what we're told is that the angels are God's created beings, and that Exodus 20 says, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see all that is in them. So there's a sense of everything. So they must have been made at some point there. <laughs> and then Job 38, 6 and 7 is one of my favorite scriptures because it talks about how um, in that section there that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Referring there to angels. At a time when God laid the cornerstone of the earth so if the angels shouted for joy when God was making the earth inhabitable, this could imply that God created the angelic beings early on the first day. Maybe. Um, Genesis 1.31, uh, God said that he, everything he'd made was very good. right? And then 2 Peter 2.4, uh, now this says that a number of, number of angels sinned and rebelled at some point. We're not really sure when, but it's referring to that in, in 2 Peter but it had to be before Satan tempted Eve in the garden in Genesis 3, verse 1. Okay? So, that's kind of the layout. We don't really know much more because, again, who is the Bible written for? Not for angels, right? It's written for us. So, we're not told their story. We're only told our story. The purpose, and I really want to make sure we get into this before we, we finish today, because um, the purpose of, and I, I have to say, the most encouraging, spiritually uh, encouraging part of this chapter to me was this section. And I just want to read to you this first part. The angels show the greatness of God's love and plan for us. Think about this. When God created angels, he did not give them the opportunity or ability to repent as he has done with us. Okay? He's not, he has not bared his holy arm to rescue angels from their rebellion. Okay? So some rebelled and some were faithful. And that stays the same throughout. Think about this. Among the angels, many sinned, but God decided to redeem none of them. This was perfectly just for God to do, and no angel can ever complain that he has been treated unfairly by God. Now, among the other group of moral creatures, human beings, we also find that a large number, indeed all, have sinned and turned away from God. As with the angels that sinned, God could have let all of us go on our own self-chosen path toward eternal condemnation. Had God decided to save no one out of the entire sinful human race, he would be perfectly just to do so. No one could complain of any unfairness on his part. But listen to this. But God decided to do much more than merely meet the demands of justice. He decided to save sinful human beings. If he had decided to save only five human beings out of the entire human race, that would have been much more than justice. It would have been a great demonstration of mercy and grace. If he had decided to save only 100 out of the whole human race, it would have been an amazing demonstration of mercy and love. Just contrast that with the angels, right? But God, in fact, has chosen to do much more than that. He has decided to redeem out of sinful mankind a great multitude whom no man can number from every tribe 
and language and people and nation. Revelation 5, 9. Wow. I mean, that. when you meditate on this for a while, it will start to blow your mind. It's so undeserved favor. Um, the striking contrast with the fate of angels can bring that truth home to you. We've been saved from a life of rebellion against God. We will be able to sing songs that angels will never be able to sing. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That is a song that is uniquely human. The angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, right? But it will be given to us to sing this song. So that's just incredible. Again, they, we can see a lot of God's plan um, and love for us when we compare ourselves and realize that God will someday give us authority over angels. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.3 When our salvation is complete, um, there will be a, a, a time when we will realize that we have been given an exalted place. And Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? But that's not all the angels do. They remind us the unseen world is real, which is really important because we're so surrounded by secularism that it's super easy to focus just on the empirical data around us or maybe our feelings. But what about the unseen world? When you go up to worship this morning, when we go up to join, not only with Christians from all past times who are now with the Lord, right? I want you to remember we're also worshiping with myriads of myriads of angels, with the army of the Lord, okay? Um, I love the Lord of the Rings, as Luke knows, Grace knows. Um, but, you know, one of the things that's really stirring in some of those stories we can read about is uh, men singing when they go into battle. I'm thinking angels will probably be singing when they go into battle. In Revelation, when it comes, talks about the return of Christ, when he leads his host, Lord Sabaoth. I mean, that's amazing. Um, they, whoop. They carry out God's plans, which we've kind of talked about already. They seem to be kind of the, they bring it to completion, but it's still God who does it. So we never should be praying to angels or seeking them in the sense that it's, they're really just God's messengers and servants. And they directly glorify God. But as we, as we finish today, we need to remember that angels are around us. They are, uh, we need to be, seeking to be aware of this fact that God has spoken of how they are around us all the time and they are aware and witnessing, by the way, our obedience or disobedience. Okay? So when we disobey God, angels are watching you. They are, they are, because they long to look into what God is doing, but they also behold the, the sin of the world and, and that grieves them, the ones who serve God, because, you know, they see our rebellion, and they, and they remember their, you know, what happened with the demons, and they, it grieves them to see us not serving God like they do. We also need to remember to follow their example because they do, holy angels do serve God even in the small things. Um, they delight in doing many tasks for God. Do we delight in doing many tasks for God? Do we delight in the things that are maybe less glamorous. The angels are always about that. But don't worship them, right? In Revelation, John is told by the angel, don't bow down to me. I am just your fellow servant in Christ. 
So we shouldn't worship them. We shouldn't pray to them. And even seeking angels can be an unhealthy obsession. So it's kind of a balance. Like Brett said, we need to be more aware of this, but only so that we might also glorify God. The angels do not want to attract attention onto themselves. Really what they want us to do, the holy angels are there to fulfill God's purpose and help us to fulfill God's purpose too. Um, And so, yeah, angels, I think, can appear to people today. And I want to end with this scripture, Hebrews 13, verse 2. And and then um, open it up for any comments or questions, and then we can pray because time is hastening on. So Hebrews chapter 13. Does anybody want to read that? Otherwise I can. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Wow. What does that even mean? At a minimum, it means that angels walk among us, and we never know when there may be a situation in which we're being um, maybe tested to see, uh, are we following Christ? Um, but also they do, they are seeking to protect God's people. And that's greatly encouraging to know that God loves us so much that he would send one group of servants to protect another group of servants so that all together we can live for God's glory. Any comments or questions today? There's some application. I'm going to leave you with those things. But um, anybody have anything they wanted to share? Maybe a, have you had a remarkable rescue from physical or other kinds of danger and wondered if angels were involved? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how do we know whether like, an angel has helped us before? I remember when I was young, like, I was going across a busy street, and a car stopped right in front of me. Like, definitely almost died, but it stopped. Yes. So I'm wondering, like, is that an angel, or like, how do we know? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's two extremes. One extreme would be to think of just all this God is directly doing it, and really angels don't seem to be involved at all. The other extreme would be like, wow, there's angels behind everything, and again, we start to get distracted from God. I think, this is just my personal view, but I think that if they are described as protecting and and being his messengers, and if God is involved in all things, I think they're probably a lot more involved than we think they are. I think they're probably, so when things happen like that, ultimately, we would connect that to providence, right? We would say, this is God's providence. He is, has protected me. So it's really him. But what does he have at his, at his disposal, right? So rather than some kind of remote kind of thing where God just pushes a button and says, stop car, I think we need to think less mechanic, mechanic, mechanically, mechanistically, that's what I mean to say. And I think we need to realize that um, he, he, he sends his servants to protect us in many different situations. But of course, that's always connected to the, the providence of God sometimes allows us to suffer. So that's a, I think it's a great question. But I mean, I, I feel like when we're in places of danger or places of, um, where there's great trials and tribulations, we should not doubt the angels are present. How much they're involved, I don't know. So, yeah. I was going to say to, to that, um, God often uses his people on earth to bless and protect each other. So again, looking at angels, the model of other servants of his, why would 
yeah, if, if he uses indirect means on Earth, why wouldn't he do that in the unseen realm? I think that's a good, a good parallel. God works that way. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah. Either way, the yeah. good's done at the end of the day. Yes. And so, it's, it's the result. Yes. Right. It's the glory of God. That's really the main thing, isn't it? The glory of God. And we know that that's what the, the holy angels really camp out on. Because all you have to do is look at Luke chapter 2, right? Christmas was only a month ago. And we think about that and think, wow, what are they excited about? What do these angels get excited about? Right? Glory to God in the highest in excelsis, right? Deo. Why? Because of what God has done in sending his son. So it's about the Savior, right? Peace on earth on those on whom God's favor rests. God is merciful, and, and, and we know that he was thinking individually of us when he sent his son. This is individual. So the angels, like us, must uh, focus on God's glory. But Let's pray, um, and let's pray for our service today with that in mind that we're not alone, guys. We're not alone, right? And we're not the only servants that God has at his disposal. 